Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today's guest is a returner. He's been on, wow, uh, three times on the podcast. Um, first time talking about his feature film, Devil's Business, and his contribution to Little Deaths. Then talking about his book, where he wrote extensively about the film Deathline. And a, a Yuletide special we did a, a year or so ago. Uh, five Great British Horrors linking to a short film he was showing at the Miskatonic Institute. I am indeed talking about Sean Hogan. Welcome to the show. Hello, good to be back. Indeed, indeed. I was looking back at the first time I interviewed you, which wasn't podcast. That was the quietest for just, just for the devil's business. It's the most fucked up story you know. That's two questions. Go on, you can tell me. Man to man. We're in the same game, you can trust me. Loose lips. Sink ships and all that. Fine. I'll tell you. That the quote that they that they decided to use as the headline, as it were, in the in the article says, "You don't have to show everything." Sean Hogan talks devil's business, and we're about to talk about your book, England Screaming, where you've gone looking for everything. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I tried to put in everything I could. Bit or in or think of, yeah. Well, let's let before we get into too much detail. Let's maybe give you you give people the um, the sort of the sales pitches it were as to what it is we're talking about. There's two books that you've written. I've read one, so we'll talk about that one. But there's two for you to tell people about. The first book, England Screaming, is um, well, it's billed as a fictional history of UK horror cinema. Uh, uh, it. Um, metafictional film criticism i like to call it it's it's it basically takes a cast of characters from various british horror films going from you know everything from dead of night all the way up to to possum i think is the most recent film in there but you you'll tell them the truth you'll tell them it wasn't my fault what sort of dummy do you think i am you shot him didn't you it takes characters from those films. It continues the stories beyond the films. It interweaves their various stories, and it kind of creates a tapestry of UK horror, um, and hopefully, sort of illuminates something about the films, uh, the, the connections uh, between them, the way they compare and contrast, and is also kind of a satirical shadow history of the country. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think I think you've just about nailed it there, Sean. I think that. Okay, well that's good. And then uh, because because I'm massively presumptuous, sort I also wrote a semi sequel to it before the first book had come out, and the sequel is called Three Mothers, One Father, and it does a similar thing with Euro horror movies. It's not quite as an extensive a book. It's a shorter book. It's about thirty five thousand words as opposed to ninety thousand words. Um, so it's more stripped down, uh, but it, yeah, it's a similar thing, but um, obviously, whereas England Screaming tells a story about this country, uh, the, the second book tells a, a Me Too related kind of story. So they're both kind of dealing, dealing with contemporary concerns. Yeah. Well, and, and, and how and where can people get it from? Get them from, sorry. 
So uh, England Screaming is available. It's it's definitely available now via the publisher PS Publishing mm-hmm. uh, online. I'm hoping that it sh- if it, if it's not available now, it should be available very shortly via Amazon. Um, and the second book is available from Black Black Shock Books, and that is available as a paperback or an ebook. And I'm pretty sure. That is on Amazon right now. So uh, yeah, either deal directly with the publishers or the or, or Amazon. Let's talk about England Screaming then. It is it is a it is a brilliant sort of meta sort of excavation of of British genre. And and like like a Jogney said in the in the intro, you don't have to show everything. Was the comment from talking about Devil's Business as a film, and then thinking you've written a book about trying to find everything and 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 you do i mean as an example to illustrate um what you described as what the book is i mean you, you say in your own in your own um introduction that it wouldn't exist without david thompson's book suspects so people that that met people listening to that who've read that book will know something about the approach you've taken but um it doesn't tell it all because the way that you've i guess the way that you've interwoven and interlinked characters and films and narratives into like you say a bigger a bigger assault on on what is britain what is england is is quite phenomenal it felt it felt really i mean as as just before we get into any detail as, as someone that's just literally finished reading it today as we talk there's this growing sense as you're reading it that the, the ghosts that is Britain that made Britain great or whatever that means is 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 just writ large in the way that horror works horror Horror is scared of what the past is, what the scare, what the past might punish him for, what the what you're meant to be doing right in the future. Uh, who's in charge? Is it a higher power? And obviously in Britain we have the class system, and and all that sort of sings off the pages of what you've done. Uh, good. Well, I'm you know I'm I'm obviously happy to hear that. I guess in some ways, um, I, you know, it's it's difficult to kind of think back about the the process of writing it, but. Um, Certainly, you know, there were a long list of films that I kind of had under consideration and I was I was watching watching films as I was writing it and sort of, you know, finding some and discarding others along the way. And I didn't really set out with that much of a thesis in mind, particularly. I kind of let the book tell me what it was. And it obviously it kind of became clear to me as I sort of set out on it what I was writing. Um, and I'm still not entirely sure whether that was down to me selecting the films that I thought fitted in with the sort of story I was telling, or whether because it's that sort of sort of things kind of simply implicit in a lot of British horror films, you know. And I kind of feel as though a lot of them are dealing with those concerns, whether overtly or not, but it, it wasn't that difficult to kind of mine that stuff, you know, um, that's, it's, it's so kind of intrinsically part of this, of, of the, of what we are as a country of a kind of what, what makes up our national character, although all that stuff about class and privilege and all that kind of thing that, Thing that that it just kind of seemed to come spilling out wherever I wherever wherever I looked. In a sense, you know, from from something like aliens were here before us and we're just bastard offsprings of something more intelligent. We're not actually 
some sort of pure race or species to, you know, Christopher Lee's old Etonian tie running the Secret Service, which literally has its eye on everything. And then in terms of just individuals, if you take take um, references to, say, Dead Man's Shoes, it's like, I'm better than I'm better than this place I am. I'm going to go off and become something else, you know, and then losing yourself to the, the system that, that, that made where you were from originally hell hell on a hell in the first place and you just go off and fight wars and stuff for them and that doesn't make you any better as a person yet you're doing it for them in inverted commas yeah i mean it's, it's sometimes it's kind of difficult for me now to look back and sort of figure out how much of this stuff is in the films and how much is i've kind of brought to it you know um and i can't really i can't really say now i mean obviously part of the fun in writing it is teasing stuff out that you think is there you know, whether it's overtly or otherwise, but maybe some of it is stuff I'm just projecting on the films or, or bringing to them. You know, it's obviously there's a certain amount of invention in there in terms of where I take the characters and even where I say that they may have come from. Um, you know, some of it is some of the weird juxtapositions and places it goes to are obviously kind of, bizarre some of them when i when i thought of them i was like i I, can i get away with this can you give an example of where you were like where you were thinking yourself can i get away with that connection well i i i I don't want to spoil it but there's there's one that that involves uh, um a character wandering in um from uh you know uh Certainly a horror-themed, but uh, a, a modern-day comedy show. Yeah. Which uh, yes, I wanted yes. to sort of acknowledge because <laughs> I, th- I thought it was a fairly iconic horror character. And just, I mean, and in terms of the story, it comes in, uh, that, that character enters in, um, and, and, you know, it might be considered a very, very bizarre juxtaposition, but when I thought of it, it just seemed to fit. Oh, I doffed, I doffed of... my cap to you, Sean. When I when it got there, I I was like, <laughs> he's gone there, he's gone um, there. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one where I was like, yeah, well, I'm not quite sure where that came from, came from, but I'm going to run with it, and I don't want to spoil what it is, and people probably know when they come to it. But in terms of the yeah, in in terms of just they're obviously two very different things that are clashing together, but in terms of where they come from and what they're dealing with, and that kind of. Well, both the sort of the rural aspect of English horror and also the kind of misogyny that they're talking about, they just seem to to work for me. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I can I can only wait and see what other people make of that kind of thing. Indeed, I mean, I, I mean, guess I guess less less spoilery would be where where you've got two things coming together, and and it's it's just struck me as like really it. it, it this, it worked so well was this idea at one one point where you're discussing um repulsion and uh carol carol going into carol's story and you <laughs> introduced the idea of a of her coming face to face with a cenobite which obviously for the listener doesn't know cenobites from from the film hellraiser and yeah the cenobite studying carol with interest and obviously with the cenobites absolute interest in in the pleasures of the flesh and carol's fear or repulsion literally of the pleasures of the flesh this was just such a wonderful little pair listen gal i i i don't know
dream now, do we? Oh, you wouldn't believe what I can dream of now. Dear me. Relax, baby. This is better than sex. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, it's. Uh, I look back on it now. I mean, I finished writing the book about a year ago. It's, it's sort of taken a year to, to come out. So uh, um, I don't remember everything about the writing of it, but yeah, that was that was one. Of, that was one of the earliest stories I wrote. It wasn't the book wasn't necessarily written in the order it's been published in, uh, but that was one of the earliest stories I wrote, and it's one of the, the early ones in the book. And that I think was kind of when I felt it clicking into place. When I came up with that with that connection, you know, I could sort of feel the book opening up. I was sort of like, yeah, that's kind of weird and bizarre and unexpected, but that's sort of where I want it to go. It speaks to sort of a universality, though, doesn't it? The fact you can interlock two films made twenty two years apart. Yeah, that are very different films in in most respects. But, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, that's, it interests me to do that. I mean, you know, there are some stories where the, the connections are more apparent, I suppose, where you're, where you're connecting things with, with actors or whatever else. Um, it's, it's fun to do that. And, you know, some, some of those, uh, you're just kind of making interesting, but possibly more apparent leaps. But, yeah, sometimes I would just kind of smash two films together in my head and see what resulted you know um and yeah so say hopefully it works <laughs> um i thought sometimes i was you know taking a bit of a chance but we'll see well yeah but i mean again again um without any context these these examples don't don't mean a great deal to the listener hopefully to, to be spoilery but um a ballad uh dr robert lang appearing in pete walker's frightmare or should i say ben wheatley's High Rise, um, yes, is again is a lovely little smash of um, sort of cultural relics. I've no qualms about the invasion of my privacy by government agencies or data processing organisations. All I want is my fair share of the electricity so I can turn a damn light on and ensure I wipe my backside properly. <laughs> Teething problems, Wilder. Building still settling. Come in, Jackie. I'm not going to make a big thing of this, Dad. I'm staying half an hour and that's all. I don't go in yet. I'll have a word with you. This is a waste of time, you know. I've been thinking about what you showed me. There's a simple explanation. There must be. Keep your voice down, please. Dad, she's been in an asylum for 15 years. She must be cured. We've both been in an asylum, Jackie. Well, then you ought to know it better than anyone else. I found something else this evening, Jackie. Oh, God, no. Look. What are they? Tarot cards. Found them in a drawer. So? Well, it takes two to play that game, Jackie. Yeah, I mean, that that seemed to me to be kind of, you know, the films were, and obviously it harkens back to Deathline as well, which in turn harkens back to the book I wrote about Deathline. Yeah, I mean, that, that seemed to me to be kind of the films were, were talking about a similar sort of thing. Um, you know, um, 
so it, it wasn't kind of a, a big leap for me to sort of take it there, I suppose. Once I'd, once I'd started talking about Deathline, which is obviously very preoccupied with matters of class and then taking it through Frightmare, and then you end up at High Rise, and well, High Rise is, you know, essentially just a class parable. So, so um, yeah, and I know, I can't, I can't remember now, but I know definitely in the book, there are sort of hints of cannibalism in there. There may well be in the film as well. I can't quite remember now. But it didn't seem to sort of be um, imposing too much to kind of take that element and 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 te- tease it out of high rise. So, and again, you know, I think you you can draw lines between these kind of films. You can sort of say, well, they're they're doing similar things, and it's just a a progression throughout the decades in terms of what these kind of genre and genre adjacent films are talking about. What is what is astounding listener to, to the way that this book is written is that it isn't one voice because obviously it isn't one film, it isn't one character. I mean, there is a kind of thread that starts at the beginning and gets you to the end that you can follow, but you could easily read each individual one as, as their own standalone essays as much as they do interlink and and there was just i just wrote a couple down sean that that really that really oh. entertained me so and they're just lovely 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 turns of phrase really sort of gulped like a clogged drain at his tumbler of whiskey which i thought was very evocative and um but then speaking more to your wider themes plump little parasites lining up to suck on the tired bones of the british empire which i think is kind of a good way to summarize the book <laughs> well I mean, um, it's. I still feel like a bit of an imposter, uh, to be honest, um, because I'm a you know a filmmaker and screenwriter by trade. I I know a lot of writers. I've been you know lucky enough to to spend time with a lot of writers that whose work I really like and respect. Um, and I never felt like that was quite what I did. And I'm not knocking on screenwriting at all uh it's its own thing and there is definitely a craft of its own but i never considered myself that kind of a writer and so when it came to doing it i was always a bit kind of like am i going to make a total fool of myself um so and i still feel a bit like that now that the book's out in the world i keep waiting for people to tell me that i have made a total fool of myself so um it's it's very nice of you to say that because um, yeah, I'm still kind of feeling my way a bit. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get that. Like, given, given that, I mean, obviously, as someone that, that writes screenplays himself, it's, I get the sense that you've looking, looking at the way you've sort of written some of the stuff is that you've, you've been set free, <laughs> in a sense that you. Oh can... yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very freeing. Um, it's very freeing in all sorts of ways. Um, not least the fact that you're writing something and you know that for better and for worse it's going to be what you wrote um that no one's going to mess with it no one's going to rewrite it um you know uh it's it's nice to know to sit down and do something knowing that it's going to get you know enter the world being exactly what you intended it to be which was definitely an upside of writing a book as opposed to working in film so in terms of all the different voices then that you you've managed to sort of condensed down each time and you said you didn't write it in the I mean I'm fascinated to learn that you didn't write it in the order it's presented so is that in the sense that some of the some of the some of the stories you were telling were started off life as 
an observation that you could sort of go that that mm, that goes together so that would be nice and then you began to sort of did a, did a thread form out of it that became England screaming or was English, was English screaming always the ambition what I would say is that I had a vague idea of where it would go when I started I kind of knew that the character of, of Damien Thorne would recur and that I would use those films as kind of, you know, um, landmarks along the way and that would be kind of structure the story. probably end but I didn't really know how much uh, much of the story beyond that the sort of through line of it and I think it's probably true to say that the the Christopher Lee character of Stratton Villiers who uh, reoccurs in it quite a lot and who who comes from Deathline and was certainly kind of made an appearance in the in the monograph I wrote on on Deathline, he kind of forced his way into the book. I think that was as I sort of found the book and as the book told me what it was and that it was so preoccupied with the kind of establishment, he became the kind of figurehead for that. I might have known you'd turn up. Just about time, I'd say. The chief superintendent doesn't approve of uh, extramural. How does a minister feel about it? All this is unfortunate. Most unfortunate. You're a master of the understatement. And you are a master of the overstatement. Now I think it's time you were on your way, Inspector. This is my manor, and the villains in it are mine. Well, you're welcome to the old thing, so why don't you just run along and arrest a few? That was definitely something that kind of, yeah, happened happened as I went along. I was like, oh, this guy keeps coming back. He's He's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Um, Him and um, Carswell have got their hand on the tiller of England. Yes, Carswell as well. As well. I, well I didn't, and um, obviously, um, Carl, Night of the Demon was, was kind of on my initial list. And I initially thought that he would have a chapter of his own and then it just so happened that that he just kept popping up in all sorts of other stories and ultimately I was like he doesn't need his own chapter because he's just in so many other stories just how much do you know about this book that you're after not very much only that professor Harrington referred to it in his notes a remarkable work a few men that really understood it learned many strange and terrifying secrets only a few is it that hard to understand I spent my life trying to decipher it. The ancient sorcerers who wrote it knew their information was far too valuable to entrust to any known language. I didn't realize what I was asking for. You don't believe in witchcraft? Do you? Do I believe in witchcraft? What kind of witchcraft? The legendary witch that rides on the imaginary broom, the hex that tortures the thoughts of the victim, the pin stuck in the image that wastes away the mind and the body. Also imaginary. 
But where does imagination end and reality begin? What is this twilight, this half-world of the mind that you profess to know so much about? How can we differentiate between the powers of darkness and the powers of the mind? <laughs> Like Villiers, he's, 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 a, he's a recurring character, which means that he exists across all of it. Yeah, and he's an instigator, you know. He's, uh, yeah, his, 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 his own story is kind of less important within the book than the other people's stories that he affects. My, um, my favourite, and I think this, is, this speaks to what we were saying before about, about the difference between sort of book writing and, and screenwriting in the sense of, I don't think I'd really want to know too much more about a Dark Song's Joseph Solomon from what than what I see in the film. But then to be treated to right. a biography of him in written form right, yeah. was an absolute <laughs> yeah. delight. This is the way that it works. It's two, three passes at it. It's a cycle. I said it at the beginning. I'm not doing it again. But you've got no choice. I do. I'm going this shit. It is not shit! I wish it were. I'm not doing it again. I'm fucking going. No, 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 don't open the door. Don't cross the line. We'll be fucked. Cross the line. We'll be stuck here forever. Please, you, do, you just don't know. Possibly one of, the, uh, one of the least sympathetic characters in the book, and there are quite a few of them, but yeah. But he is unsympathetic in the film, but you kind of... You, you've I made up my own reasons for that in terms of what's going on, and you've only got the film to tell you. But you've 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 took a stab at what it is, and and it's 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 a wonderful little filthy tale. I, I wanted to do that movie because I I really thought it was one of the the, the sort of better UK genre movies of recent times. Um, but I wasn't initially sure where to go go with it, and then when I sort of made the connection between that and the shouts, the story, yeah, then, then it all kind of unfolded that it was, it was really about him and this, you know, you know, his father, essentially. Uh, um, yeah. Again, you're just, it's, it's, it's just kind of comes out of, of teasing these odd little connections out that you discover along the way that makes it so fun to do. It does seem to be one of the, one of the, of contemporary British horror, that those that see it want to celebrate it. Yeah, I mean, um, again, I think it's. I probably say something along these lines in the in the pref preface, but the point of the book is not necessarily to sort of say everyone must have seen these films, because some of them are not great. Frankly, a couple of them are actually downright bad. Um, some of them are flawed but interesting. But it's not, yeah, it's not really meant to be. These are the best British horror films that you may, you may or may not have heard of. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them are. And I tried to be inclusive, and I tried to pick stuff that I thought would deserve the place in there, and stuff like a dark song would be one of them. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's it, I, it, it was all about picking picking films that work for the book essentially, and the, the stories sort of connected and juxtap juxtaposed well. Um, but yeah, I mean, in some places, I was glad to sort of make a case for a film that I thought deserved it. Um, and there are certainly some films in there that I that I would say no, this is absolutely a film you should be aware of and see. And you know, a dark song would be one of them, and possum would be one of them, which you know, again, is a recent British horror film. I know it's divisive because some people just find it too bleak and too minimalist. But, you know, I, I, I 
I loved it. I thought it was great. And it was, I, when I saw it, I, you know, I, I watched that fairly late on in writing the book and I was like, no, this actually, this has a place in the book and, you know, very neatly it, it, it happened to sort of fall into place that I could draw a line between that and um, Dead of Night, which is the first film, you know, historically that's, that features in the book. So it made, they made kind of nice bookends. Come in. Want to borrow the tools? Please. I remember. I remember. I remember seeing Possum at a press screen, and it and it was greeted with a kind of stunned silence. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Hungry? No. Roast fox. Funny. Dismantling it, are you? In my own time, yeah. Pity. Puppetry's the one thing you were good at. Staying, are you? For a while. My house. One of the things that I mean, you're right, there is a bleakness to it because there's a, there's, a, there's a quite intensity about a lot of the sort of internal stuff. But then there's the, the, the stuff that the director does out on the glens and stuff is... It's just it just captures a kind of mundanity to to the British landscape that that is that is that is that is kind of interesting, but but not all at the same time. It you know it is very much a kind of some a, a British horror film that kind of fuses the kitchen sink tradition together with horror. Um, you know, and then you know, which I mean, it's not the only film to do that, but it 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 it's fairly relentless in doing it. Remember this one? Hmm. Well made. My father taught me, you know. Runs in the family. You're not my father, Morris. If you don't like bleak, grim, depressing films about how miserable, you know, um, <laughs> um, English life can be, then you're not going to like Possum. Yeah, I think I think people going in thinking they were going to see some sort of. Um, uh, Garth Merengue's Dark Place, the symphony orchestra yes. or something, we're, we're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Bring them back. In terms of playing with different voices, how, how did you sort of tune yourself in and out of, of the different things you were trying to say? So I'm, I'm thinking sort of, in particular, you know, you, you, John, John Molar's chapter is a very different yes. one to say, yeah. you know, Philip from Possum. What kind of person was he? Very withdrawn sort of fellow. Had the most disconcerting eyes. One could never return his gaze in conversation. Somehow made one feel guilty. Hopefully, as a screenwriter, you're used to writing character in in character. Um, if you're really good. Um, um, I mean, I suppose, you know, I mean, the... The book I did on Deafline, which is for anyone who, who doesn't know it, more than half of it is written as a diary of um, the Donald Pleasance character from Deafline, Inspector Cahoon. And part of the joy of doing that was writing in his voice because that character is just, uh, you know, I just find him so wonderful. It's such a great performance and the conception of the character and everything is so brilliant. So when I wrote that book, that was kind of my, my impetus for doing it was just to write in that voice. And so similarly, when it came to doing England Screaming, 
there were certain characters where I couldn't wait to write in their voices, and Mauler was certainly one of them. My lord, the chief villainy of Mr. Lovelace's pamphlet lies in his open admission that he would do what he could to make a world saner and more humane than the world we live in. His phrase, not mine. He made curbside speeches. He even wrote to certain politicians and so-called princes of the church. Could you bring us to the charges? My lord, the prosecution makes much of the defendant's professed wish to see the Imperial War Museum destroyed. Why, the defendant asks, do we send busloads of children to gawp at that collection of tributes to authorized murder? A crime? Well, look at this venerable courtroom. We're supposed to be civilized, aren't we? Yet we do shove innocence into that chamber of horrors stuffed with pain and mutilation and death and say, look, children, this is what put the great in Britain. But where in that asylum of grotesques do we find framed the armament manufacturer's checkbook together with grandpa's piss-pathetic medal and his artificial leg? I, for one, am with the defendant. If I knew how, I would blow the bloody place sky high. For which thought, if memory serves, the prosecution argues, if a man can be so scathing about our bloodied, militaristic past, what is he not capable of? I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, He's not capable of a non-event. There was no bomb, no threats, no conspiracy. You know it, the prosecution knows it, I know it, the judge knows it. It is not the defendant who should be on trial here, but a besotted establishment who can cheerfully send a generation to slaughter in the name of war, and yet has the audacity to bring a hapless fool like Lovelace to trial for uttering words. John Mauler's kind of... Uh one of my favorite characters in English horror because he's simultaneously both a monster and yet entirely understandable in terms of what he's saying. Please, so, t- like, please tell me the Medusa touch is one of the ones that you would recommend because it's not, I've not one I've seen. Oh God. I'm... Yes. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I kind of, it's been fun when I was, I remember watching Medusa Touch as a kid on TV and like it scaring the hell out of me. And through the years, I was kind of aware that it was sneered at a bit. It was always seen as kind of a bit low rent and whatever else, you know, and it made an impression on me as a kid. And I always felt a bit like, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. And it, uh, I think then I hadn't seen it for several years. And when I finally went back and watched it, I still really enjoyed it. I mean, it's kind of unavoidably of its time in certain senses. But I still actually think a lot of it really works. And I, it's been kind of nice seeing more people come around on that idea over the years. I think now it's kind of regarded with more affection than it used to be. And, and you know, and it's essentially I just love... Mauler as a character and I love Richard Burton playing him and his voice is so particular he's so kind of grandiose and theatrical and yet so anarchic and nihilistic that just writing that was just you know it was just a joy to do and I kind of hope I've done him justice because it's like writing Cahoon they're such great characters that you don't want to like trip yourself up trying to trying to imitate them or you know i hope i've sort of captured them to some extent 
and and I should add as I should add as well, your your track record with recommending films to me has been has uh, has been good. So uh, I'm gonna I'm, I will follow that one up for sure. Well, that that is definitely a recommendation. Like I said, I I wouldn't recommend every film in the book, but I will wholeheartedly recommend that one. The Lord Summerisle tale and where where you interconnect his ventures into uh, reshaping English society in um, in honour of the Dark One. Do sit down, Sergeant. Socks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. Please. Now, those children out there, they're jumping through the flames in the hope that the god of fire will make them fruitful. Really, you can hardly blame them. After all, what girl would not prefer the child of a god to that of some acne-scarred artisan? And, and you, you encourage them in this? Actively. It's most important that each new generation born on summer I'll be made aware that here the old gods aren't dead. And what of the true god? Whose glory churches and monasteries have been built on these islands for generations past? Now, sir, what of him? He's dead. He can't complain. He had his chance and did modern times. Do it. Doesn't feel wrong. They're bad people. They should suffer. The idea that that somehow Lord Summerisle was involved in their journey just made my heart sing. Yeah, well, you know, so that's that's kind of a more obvious one where you blinking those films together is not such a great leap. But you punct, but you punctuate. I won't spoil it. All, I won't spoil all of that that linking. But you punctuate it with another military character that that's a failed opportunity that leads to kill this. Which I loved that idea of the continuity between <laughs> between two characters from very different scenarios. Yeah, that was that, and that was that was something that kind of happened along the way because that character I wrote his story fairly early on. Um, and it more self-contained, and then I actually suddenly realised, oh no, of course he would have been friends with the guys from Kill List, and so I went back and sort of made mention of them in his chapter, and obviously then brought him into the Kill List chapter. But also, he would have been he would have been on Lord Summerall's hit list as well. I love that idea. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I mean because he, he's exactly the same sort of you know. PTSD, war, you know, uh, traumatised veteran, you know. England Screaming is a wonderful book and I can't wait to read uh, Three Mothers, One Father if you're taking me on a kind of Me Too journey through um, through Europe, through back on European cinema. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it has that undercurrent to it. It's essentially a story about a conflict, conflict between um, Argento's Three Mothers and the Devil. Um, and any resemblance between the devil and a certain disgraced Hollywood producer may or may not be purely intentional. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that must be one of the one of the joys about doing a look back on any on any kind of popular culture is you're 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 allowed to view it today as it as it looks today. There's no there's there's a context as to when, but ultimately you can yes. you can judge it. I had, I mean, it's not a horror film. Well, it's a horror film in terms of what what you see happen, but it was never billed as one. I don't know if you've ever seen Bernard Rose's um, Ivan's XTC from two thousand. Yes, I have. 
Yes, I have. Have you, have you watched it in recent years? Not recent years, no. I saw it when it uh, probably roundabout when it came out. So that was two thousand. So that was two thousand. And if you watch it now, literally, Danny Houston's character spends most of the most of his screen time in a polo shirt, boxer shorts, and a bathrobe, hitting on women that aren't interested. Ivan, they all hate it. Mm. You've written covers before, haven't you? Yeah, but I haven't uh, read beats. <laughs> I know you haven't. But all you have to do is say that you um, you think it's good. That Danny McTeague's directing it, okay, and that you recommend it for an A-list client. Whatever you say. Okay. For me, uh, the interesting thing about going back and dealing with some of these old films is that you come across stuff that would be considered objectionable now, but if you're writing it in the voice of decades before, you have to go with it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. And you know, there's certainly stuff in the book characters saying things or doing things that that i would consider reprehensible but you can't you can't try and like rise above rise above it you have to sort of do and say whatever the characters would do or say um and you know and that if 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 we're talking about a character from the 70s or whenever you know some of that might be pretty rough stuff but I, I think you kind of have to just go with that. Well, look, England Screaming and Three Mothers, One Father uh, by John Hogan are out now. I'll put links in the show notes as to where people can get them. It just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Alan Parker said... Sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.